listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And as always, we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and finalising who we'll be preferencing last this coming election. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do deals. (laughs) Uh, Apologies in advance as well if my audio sounds fucked up. Um, I've got a bloody Windows update, guys, right as we're recording. Windows update. Am I right? Oh, hey, have you guys seen this? Have you heard about this? <laughs> We've got a fantastic interview coming up later in the show with Holly from the Renters and Housing Union. She came on, had a chat with Lang and I about solidarity, about renters banding together and beating landlords at their own fucking yeah. game, um, about the what we're dubbing the new union movement. Um, it's all about new unions rising up from the ashes of COVID, but we're spelling it NU, like new metal, because that's mm, just yeah. fun. Because <laughs> like NU it. also stands for new unions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck. Also, in that interview, uh, I, I think that that I wasn't expecting is just like practical advice on how to get your rent reduced. Yeah. Uh, yep. I, I, I think that the people who can get their rent reduced, there are more of them than you'd think. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Oh, my lease is coming up. I wouldn't mind that. I don't think that the la- I don't think that the landlords have done a very good job publicising the fact that most people can get their rent reduced. <laughs> News up top. Refugee activists in Brisbane, the uh, Refugee Solidarity Mingen, have yelled at Scott Morrison while he was just trying to live his life. And that's good. (laughs) (laughs) It's good news! He's just trying to go about his life destroying everyone else's lives and (laughs) they interrupted him. That was so rude. I like to think actions like this are just a natural extension of the good work done by Tom Tanaki and um, Sean Bedlam, the yelling at racist dogs. Duo? <laughs> yeah, shout out to It's Yard. just a continuation of their work and just yelling at Scott Morrison and everyone else. It's great. Uh, this was an event that went down on Monday. Uh, Scott Morrison was visiting the University of Queensland and some uh, refugee activists uh, managed to find out ahead of time that he was visiting the University of Queensland. They showed up and they chased him out of the building and yelled at him and threw fake blood on his car. It was great. Great to see it. Yeah, you love to see it. Scott Morrison, you're committing crime! Freedom! It's been eight years! Eight years, you fucking garbage! Eight fucking years! And I think, honestly, in a functioning democracy, if you've got refugees and inhumane detention centres, and if you do, oh, you're doing all the bullshit that the Prime Minister is doing, um, you yeah. should expect to get hassled every time you go out in public. It's just part of the job. Uh, if you want to not be hassled in public, you've got to keep the public happy. Yeah. I don't think that Scott Morrison should uh, deserve a, a second of peace for the rest of his life. Ah. I think that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, it's just how it works. It's just the job. You didn't want to be hassled in public. Don't be a public servant. <laughs> that's, I don't, I'm not sure how <laughs> Don't be a shitty public servant. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's more like it. I don't think it's just open season no. on every public servant. That's <laughs> but you are accountable to the public. And so if you just cut the off- ones that are personally responsible for imprisoning refugees <laughs> yeah. for years and years and incurring like condemnation from the United Nations for multiple human rights violations. Exactly. You know, that kind of public servant. But the bare minimum is to scream at them in public. Yeah. If you've cut off the avenues for the public to have access to you and to have their criticisms heard, as a good public servant should be accountable to the public. Um, our, our political class currently is not particularly accountable to the public, so this is what we're left with, is throwing paint at their cars. 
it is what we're left with. I, I, I also look forward to next week's episode where we talk about how the uh, individual identities and families of the people who uh, yelled at him got, uh, you know, targeted by the Ooh. entire Murdoch media Fuck. as, like, for crimes that they committed, like, 15 years. Oh, they did a, 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 a vandal shoplifter, blah, 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 attacked yeah. Scott Morrison and, and murdered him. <laughs> <laughs> I saw headlines that were, like, um, police protect the prime minister from, from protesters that are, like, throwing paint at his car and it's like i mean you've you've taken one aspect of what happened there but you haven't really tackled they're just protesters they're just generically protesting at the prime minister they didn't say police arrest protesters who object to refugee detention or anything like that you know reporting the thing like that where it's just a, a an innocent prime minister getting attacked by protesters kind of misses the entire motives behind everything there yeah More good news. In the ACT, uh, they've just had an election and the Greens and Labor have done... Pr- well, Labor did the same as they were already doing. The Greens picked up <laughs> a big swing um, and the the Liberals lost a bunch. So, huh, look at that. That's a bit of preferential voting. Lovely That's pretty nice. It's good news. Because now the Greens are in there with like 13%. And that means that when Labor wants to get some shit done, mm-hmm. they've kind of got to run that past the Greens. Um, and that's the you, you've probably seen the little cartoons every time there's a uh, a federal election in Australia that are like you can't waste your vote even if you like the Greens but you go oh I don't want I don't want the Liberals to get in so I should vote Labor fucking vote for the Greens first and then give your second preference or whatever to Labor because then Labor is forced to make some compromises that's how we got a carbon tax passed that's how we get Labor to do something yeah it. It needs to be. It needs to be reiterated. Like, what's super important is that the, even the Labor Labor Party try to talk about Gillard's carbon tax worked. That's what got mm. results. But she campaigned on not having a carbon tax. She that was the, a core point of her entire campaign was I'm not going to do that. You can vote for me because I won't do yeah. a carbon tax. And then so many people voted for the Greens that mm. she couldn't get in power by herself. So she had to go to the Greens who said, Yeah, we'll give you power if you do a carbon tax. And that's how it works. There is yeah, no way yeah. to waste your vote in this country. Our little minority parties and little independents and things are responsible for so much of the decent policies that actually get through yeah. or responsible for holding at bay things. Yeah, Jackie Lambie just last week. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's why it gets me when, um, we'll talk about this a bit later in the podcast, but whenever you see uh, a major candidate saying that, like, you know, a vote for a minor party is a wasted vote, you shouldn't listen to that because it all oh, adds yeah. up in that way. Yeah, that's why they're telling you that. It's because it's not a wasted vote and they don't want you to not waste your vote. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Liberals... You wouldn't want to waste your vote on not electing me. Yeah. <laughs> me. The Liberals and Labor would honestly love to have an American-style system where it's just the two big parties fighting it out. Yeah. So don't let it happen. Vote for Jackie Lambie and <laughs> shoot as a vicious party. <laughs> I'm a YouTube personality vote. now. <laughs> I'm morally craven. <laughs> anyway... Who wants to cover Queensland Labor going in hard on a random Greens better? That sounds like an Evie bit. It does. <laughs> Twitter so, bit. This week, uh, Queensland Labor decided, rather than concentrating on their own election campaign, that they decided to go full pelt against a random Greens volunteer. Now, why would they do this, you ask? Did that volunteer represent all of Greens? <laughs> yes, they did, actually. They represented all of the Greens in Australia. Therefore, everyone, including Bob Brown, has to act uncondemned this action which was 
quoting Mean Girls. <laughs> Is that all you say? Yes, that's all it was. <laughs> like, if I would blow her off to hang out with Kyle, she'd be like, why didn't you call me back? And I'd be like, why are you so obsessed with me? But which quote, Evie? <laughs> does, yeah. so, does she not even go here? <laughs> she wanted to bake a cake of rainbows. Okay, let's get this all out of our systems now. Jesus. <laughs> get what out of the system? This is just you quoting a movie you know. I don't know anything about Mean Girls. That's I've why the Liberal Party is so big. They're full of secrets. <laughs> Read the movie, Evie. Read the movie. Out. <laughs> oh, my God. So what actually happened? Let's go. A Greens volunteer posted a screen cap. Um, in the screen cap, Jackie Trad was saying the Greens political party is, does this political stunt at every election. They're obsessed with themselves and putting at risk our state's economic recovery during a global uh-huh. economic downturn. So she was just talking some shit about the Greens. Just sledging uh-huh. the Greens, as the Labor does. Who's Jackie Trad though? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Trad is a Labor MP in the South Brisbane branch. Yeah, and she used to be the Deputy Labor Premier, but then was kicked out of it because she says she took a strong principled stance, but clearly it was just infighting. All right. So she's just <laughs> some Labor Minister. So what happened here in this specific tweet is this particular user took a screen cap of Jackie Trad sledging the Greens and she quoted Mean Girls saying, this party is the nastiest skank bitch I've ever met do not trust them they are a fugly slut (laughs) (laughs) so so the mean girls reference there is because jackie trad said they're obsessed with themselves yes uh, which is it's not a direct it it echoes the why are you so obsessed with me line in mean girls and so a rando greens volunteer is like haha mean girls yeah, yeah. that's a funny bit. And, of course, um, the shit-sheeters that are the Labor Party uh, <laughs> leapt on this random tweet in the middle of the, you know, universe of tweets that happened from people every day on this wonderful mm. website and decided that is an example of Green's misogyny against women because mm-hmm. she said this word slut. Even though that tweet is doing a bit where they're calling the Greens a fugly slut. Yes. Not Labor. <laughs> It's just, <gasps> yeah, it's inc- inc- as you would expect, it's incredibly disingenuous. Um, and framing one particular volunteer who also did not particularly, you know, identify themselves, you know, too much, like other than just their first name um, online. And it turned into a week-long saga of trying to get the green. When will the Greens act on misogyny in their party? Yeah, it was so misrepresented at Jeez. every point. So, like, in the in the original tweet, she's clearly talking about the Greens, but the every bit of coverage of it and every bit of um, sort of push from Labor about it was like, she called Jackie Trout a slut mm-hmm. was what they would characterize it as, which is, like, just absolutely not what happened. But everyone's going on about, like, oh, you can't attack female MPs like this, blah, blah, blah. Despite the fact that this poor girl is just being attacked by the entire Queensland Labor Party now for for nothing, for posting a Mean Girls tweet. And and the worst part is it wasn't just the Labor Party. It was um, the Brisbane Times, which is a Fairfax publication, who decided to amplify this particular line of attack and just publish it without any sort of contextual interest whatsoever and say a Greens volunteer published this misogynistic tweet. Mm-hmm. Not only that, uh, we also have other, you know, Labor power brokers and media people who are aligned with Labor like Dee Madigan who also decided to continue this line of attack. Even more disingenuous because they are supporters of various uh, commentators 
who are happy to amplify Labour's, you know, political points without any sort of criticism. Yeah, another spearhead of the attack was Queensland Labour MP Terry Butler, who is the Federal Labour Party's shadow environment minister, who was just genuinely posting about this for days on end. Just like, when will the Greens condemn their branch secretary? The, the, the attacks always referred to this rando volunteer as the branch secretary, as though that's a role that is like yes. some paid green staffer, <laughs> rather than a volunteer who was like, oh yeah, I'll take notes on the meeting. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's her whole role. But they're like, oh, you know, the, the, the you know, party head of the Queensland Federal Greens has personally attacked Jackie Trad, stabbing her with a knife and calling her a slut. When will the Greens condemn this behaviour? When it's just like, some poor girl who's posted a tweet and now has the entire fucking Queensland Labor Party dropping down on her. And Terry Butler, environment, shadow environment minister. This is mm. the part that I can't get over. Because I saw a lot of this because I follow Terry Butler on Twitter because I'm like, look, she seems to genuinely care about climate action. Mm. She, like, I- I've seen her speak on this stuff. She seems at least earnest. But all I saw for her from her for days was just disingenuous muckraking against the Greens. Like, what are you doing? They threatened to preference the Liberals. (laughs) Like, they threatened to preference the Liberals over the Greens for this. Yeah. They fucking threatened to preference the fucking Liberal Party over this. I can't help but feel that was already in the works. Yeah. Like... They're just looking for an excuse. <laughs> Labor threatened to do what they were but, always going to do in these instances. We'll, we'll publicly yeah. announce it this time. I'd fucking tell you what. Ah, oh, because of that tweet, we're going we're gonna to back Adani. Look what you've made us do. <laughs> you know what I do think is really good about this, though, in another like shining little glimmer of good news in the whole thing, is that the Greens didn't take the the bait. Thank they spent yeah. a yeah. week trying to make this a story and it just didn't happen and I can't help but feel like a big reason why it didn't happen is because the Greens refused to apologise. They refused to acquiesce to the disingenuous bullshit peddled by Labor and the Labor Brokens and they just went, no, this isn't an issue. This is nothing to apologise for. Mm. And then they went, oh, it is though. And then it just died off. So the volunteer was working in Amy McMahon's office And Amy McMahon sent out this um, response to this publicly saying, Jackie Trad knows full well that this tweet isn't about her, but she and a series of senior ministers have chosen to deliberately misinterpret and misquote the tweet so they can spend days smearing a young woman and attempting to bully her out of involvement in politics. Fantastic. More of that all the time. Fantastic way to put it too. Like, yeah. Okay. Not to get too earnest, but. I think a lot about this, of course, as the token woman on the podcast. (laughs) Um, Checks in the mail. (laughs) I was put here by affirmative action. Just want to. (laughs) Um, I think about it a lot. Like, you know, I hesitate to often, you know, I think a lot about what opinions I put online, um, you know, how what I say is going to be misconstrued by uh, disingenuous actors. Um, Hmm. And I'm just nobody. But, like, women are constantly who think about wanting to enter politics have to think about this all the time. It's constantly at the top of their heads. And women just want to live a normal life. They don't want to be some, like, career politician who has to obsessively, like, you know, filter their entire life through a will I get fired for this sense. And it just, it can't happen anymore. Like, you, you, Mm. and we have to stop caving in to you know yeah. other side like the uh, other pe- other parties trying to pull this line of attack 
You're allowed to have a normal life. You're allowed to say what you want. And also, don't fire people for their tweets, Mm. for crying out loud. Even if you don't agree with a person, just stop calling people's managers to fire them for their tweets because it can be used against you. And you can't just say, oh, well, I didn't think it would happen to me. (laughs) Yeah. Let those of us who are without tweets cast the first stone. (laughs) Just to close it out, I think that uh, one thing I'd like to say is there's no shame in deleting your tweets constantly, (laughs) just on a regular basis, delete all of them. Like, if you sort of sit down and think, what are the nice and good reasons that somebody would pull up a tweet from three years ago? (laughs) Yeah, there are none. (laughs) Is that an important archive to manage? Why are you keeping it around? Even you, even you looking at your old tweets from four years ago, you're not going to have a nice experience. You're going to be like, what the fuck was I doing on this website in the first place? So just, like, delete... All of your social media posts that are more than, let's say, four days old. Because what are they for? You can can download a transcript of your entire tweet history into a text file. So you've always got that forever on a USB that no one must ever get. (laughs) I did that once. I downloaded my tweet archive because I was like, I'm going to delete all of the tweets that I ever made. You know, because I had like some 10-year archive of them. I downloaded the archive and then I was like... I never want to open that up. <laughs> oh, no, I did. I downloaded it. Delete the archive. And I was like, again, what do you want them oh. for? That's not a precious treasure trove of gems. It's a bunch of shit. <laughs> those tweets were gold. I was looking back and I was like, I should repost some of these. This is some good photos tweets. of yourself as a gangly teen. That's <laughs> the, the only value of them is to just like bring them out to a partner in the in the dead of night where you're just like, look at this embarrassing thing that I did when I was young. Oh, terrible. Never <laughs> oh, <laughs> speak of this. I guess I got Twitter when I was like 23. So I, I realise we've funny. given conflicting advice of, you know, you should be a normal person, but also delete all your tweets. But I think it's probably a good thing to realise how your political enemies can construe a case against you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, people shouldn't be using tweets as ammunition. But it was also like, all right, hey, I've invented this new gadget that when you're at the pub permanently records anything that you say so that (laughs) other people could search it. Do you want to use that app? (laughs) Does anyone in the world want to use that app? (laughs) No? Why not? (laughs) uh, Am am I saying, oh, guard what you say at the pub? No, I'm saying, like... Don't use the (laughs) app. Delete them so that you don't have to worry. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) We've gotten into tech security at this point. Um, Yeah. Just uh, smash your Google Home. Just to add some context uh, to this particular incident, this is not the first time the Labor Party has done this to a Greens volunteer. Uh, In 2018, um, on Lydia Thorpe's campaign, uh, the ABLP bullied, with the help of the Daily Mail and the Herald Sun, uh, a volunteer that was working on her campaign and dug up all their tweets as well. Hmm. So, yeah, don't tweet. And the fact that you can bully a volunteer, they're just they're basically a voter who's putting in yeah. a little bit of extra work. It's it's just an easy way to not attack an actual MP and just say, well, the if if this is your volunteer, this must cast a shadow over your entire, you know, ministership. It's insane. Yeah. I wonder if it's because the sort of you know the the center of sort of funding and and power for the labor party is like uh you know the gambling industry and the fossil fuel industry and so the greens attack them and the labor's like <laughs> oh you're going after the gambling industry and the fossil fuel industry well we're going to attack your base of power what's that <laughs> individual people who care about things well <laughs> i hope that nothing bad happens to them <laughs> i mean it well may well be i mean it's 
this is a thing you, you see constantly is Labour kind of positioning themselves as the opposition to the Liberals, but they go so hard on the Greens in a way they never do against the Liberals. You get Joel Fitzgibbon, we talked about this a few episodes ago, going the Greens are Labour's primary political opponents. Whoops. Which is wild. Like yeah. they, he said the quiet bit out loud. If you look at their policies, if you look at their voting records, who votes yeah. with each other, it's it's the, the, the Labour and the Liberals are one party and yeah. the Greens are the opposition. And so often even you get Labour preferencing the Liberals before the Greens. And I think it's because they know that that the Greens are stripping away any pretense that Labour has for being a party that stands for something. Labour used to be workers and people and... And all of that lefty shit. And now uh, the Greens really shows them up for being like, you're not actually lefty. You love Adani. You're not helping job seekers. You're not raising welfare. And, you know, pulls the mask off. <laughs> and they're going after their volunteers because they're like, how come you get cool volunteers? <laughs> <laughs> Our volunteers Like, suck. I guarantee that if you go through any Labour volunteers, old social media things, you're not going to find shit about doing shoplifting and, and nangs and stuff because labor <laughs> volunteers are nerds. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, jail for stupol. <laughs> yeah, at least young liberal voters make a bit more sense because they're the, like, they're the ones that like you know they're going to be given houses for their 18th birthdays from mummy and daddy. And so it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I can see you with your nice little tie and your wet lips out there being like, mm, vote, for my, for, vote for my daddy's company. <laughs> <laughs> McLean, you've just reminded me. You've just reminded me of earlier this year when um, New South Wales Young Labor decided to um, show their colours for their preferred US presidential candidate, and there oh, was like Elizabeth Warren. Oh, they, they, so they they decided on Elizabeth Warren in the end, but you, uh, we'll put the photo in the show notes just because it makes me laugh every time <laughs> I think about it. There's like twenty different shirts for different candidates in the photo, and like every single one of them just looks like this absolute nerd. Like they all need to have their pants pulled up over their heads. It's just... (laughs) Okay, there's my cancelable thing. I want to bully young Labour volunteers. Thus ends the bullying section of the podcast. (laughs) Joining Lang and myself now to talk all things uh, rent, landlords and solidarity it's holly from the renters and houses union how you doing good thank you how are you guys doing we're good pretty good you know know, outside (laughs) busy hanging with lots of friends yeah like we are doing a podcast in the middle of a pandemic in 2020 things are going as poorly as that sounds (laughs) yeah sounds like they're well (laughs) Yeah. yeah A lot of people don't have a podcast, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. So then, yeah, how did uh, Rahu come about? What was the what was the germination of it all? Um, well, get ready to be hit with a cliche, but did you know <laughs> that the um, pandemic revealed some issues in how our society runs? Really? No. Do yeah. Go on. Yeah. So huh. um, when people lost jobs, it was found that some of them couldn't pay rent because uh, they needed capitalism. the money from their works work to pay the rent. I've heard of this, and landlords surely understood that. And went, well, we'll we'll give you a little break. You might be surprised to find that some landlords didn't understand that. And they said, my investment has to make money because I have invested in my investment. (laughs) It's it's a pandemic. People don't have jobs. There's no money going around. How can you expect people to pay rent? And that's what the people who started the rent strike thought. So the rent strike itself was, because this is Victorian based specifically, yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. 
And then, so it really was just a whole bunch of Victorians at the same time being like, like if if we don't have a unified front, we're fucked. Exactly. And it was inspired by rent strikes across the world. I saw a lot of stuff on social media about successful strikes in America where they all seem to pay their rent on the first of the month, which is cool. Mm. Um, yeah. But here it was a group of people um, from the Industrial Workers of the World, Melbourne, who started a petition to withhold rent and mortgage for payments for the length of the pandemic. Mm. And that went national and got about 20,000 signatures in the first month. Nice. Um, And the way they did it was to try and get organized because you can't really just tell your landlord you're not going to pay rent with no consequences. They started forming local neighborhood groups with people who were striking, um, getting together and figuring out who shared landlords or real estate agents Mm. and sending organized letters to the real estate agents saying, hey, none of us have any money capitalism is fucked, we're on strike. Yeah. Because that's the only way to do it, is to not be the only one kicking up a fuss. By yourself, you don't have a lot of power. But once everyone paying rent to a landlord kicks up a fuss, well. Exactly. I'm reminded of the, there was a story out of the US, I think, where um, this <laughs> landlord sent this horrible email to all of his tenants saying like, you know, you have to pay rent. I will not be budging on that, blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. didn't make everyone's email private. So he essentially gave everyone connections to everyone else in all of his <laughs> buildings who then all could effortlessly organize with each, o- each other and told him to fuck off. They immediately unionized. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Oh my God, I <laughs> wish that could happen here. <laughs> I know. But so, so there's a rent strike happening all across the uh, the country, 20,000 signatures in the first month. Fucking amazing. And then it goes to a local level. What? How then does the union itself become a big official thing with like a name and a logo and all the cool Some shit? Some really talented people got organized. Um, they had the idea and they just voted to make it into a union. Um, it's based on a member-run style, so it might not be what you're used to with your work union with, you know, paid people who run it. It's based on the industrial workers of the world style where it's branches and groups and everyone pitching in pretty democratic and flat, which I'm enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a big vote in May. And then they've done all the admin to like get a secretary and treasurer and delegates and there's a bank account. Members pay dues of $10 a month if you're waged or $1 if you're not waged or zero if you're an international student or migrant getting no money or a First Nations person. Mm. Um, and we're going to use those Jews to keep up our internet platforms and start some exciting in-person campaigns, which I can't talk about during this period of nothing being in person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a sort of like, stay tuned for when we can actually fucking organize in person. God yep. damn it. <laughs> it's definitely an additional challenge to any kind of solidarity or class action stuff is you can't assemble. You can't easily pick it or have meetings or something which is that whole extra level of isolation um, that sort of the landlordy bossy class relies on mm-hmm. um i'm really impressed with the way rahu has done that during a pandemic um the reason i joined is because two of my good friends were talking about all this stuff they were doing with them and i was obviously getting extremely bored on weekends locked down with nothing to do <laughs> So I decided to sign up and uh, make them post pictures of Shrek on Instagram. 
So do you think there's an element of, ah, uh, you can't go to the pub with your friends anymore. May as well form a union, you know, give you a social outlet, give you something to do. That's pretty, that's pretty nice. I'm going to say there's an element of that. Now that I've got less pub time, I've got more time to organize. It's not like you've got anything more fun. <laughs> I'm making this sound like the union isn't like a good thing for general reasons, but hey. People can always use even more motivation. It'll just happen at the pub once that's allowed. There's a lot of that in the group chat with yeah, a cause is um, discussions about future pub discussions. Uh, yeah, just one day. Yeah, we've been yeah looking at that. <laughs> that the the light at the end of the tunnel. It's a it's a dingy like dark yellow pub light. Um, I mean, I've I've even seen in the in the Rahu stuff with like um, which we which we'll get to in a little bit. But the whenever there's you know some wins. That the union managed to manage to get. As like, fuck it, you want to jump on cam and we'll just you know have a couple of drinks, hang out for a bit. It's like, it, it does seem like because it started with that online connectivity and that group chat mentality almost, it feels more natural than if maybe like the NTEU or the ASU were to get in touch with me and be like, hey. I'm Secretary Branch Head so-and-so from... You've never met me, by the way, but I do represent you in legal things to do with your job. Do you want to have a have a drink on <laughs> webcams? Like, Not really, no. <laughs> yeah, I think we're lucky to have some really personable and passionate members who are good at bringing people together online. So you've been going for a little while and you've been getting some really impressive things done. Um, I just saw recently on your Twitter that you've managed to score a couple of big wins against landlords. Yeah, how good was that? Um, shout out to our team who works on that kind of thing. I'm more of a social media person. I'm too extremely online to really understand the law. <laughs> but um, we have a few people who work with our members to basically develop cases against their landlords at things like VCAT. Um, and the ones last week were amazing. Two of our members were both um, international students with families and they lost all of their income. And as we mm. know, the federal government doesn't think that temporary migrants deserve any income during the pandemic. Um, so these two were both facing around $10,000 each in rental arrears and their landlords decided to take them to VCAT about it. That's like, it seems wild that you can do that and say, oh, these guys aren't paying rent in the middle of a pandemic. And we, what, are they able to evict them in that case? There is still an eviction moratorium, but there are some technicalities where landlords can still try and evict you um, with like an end of tenancy kind of thing. I can't remember what it's right. called. Uh, uh, an agreement to end... I actually had that. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my story in Ooh, a minute, please yeah, do. it's 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 saying oh we'll we'll mutually agree that you're going to leave but with a real sort of i'm your landlord vibe to it yes that is exactly it um kind of an authoritative it's time for you to go do you not think yeah yeah the idea that there's a like a mutual agreement to leave and we're going to enforce that by taking you to court doesn't sound mutual very mutual yeah no and luckily VCAT agreed um, and these two renters are both allowed to stay in their houses until the end of the eviction moratorium which is currently set for March 2021. I'm really excited about that Um, and the debt is being forgiven. That's 
incredible. That's exactly the kind of win we want. (laughs) Because you guys had a hand in helping prepare that and stood with them and we were all there behind them wanting them to win and offering something material to help them with. And then to get the win out of it, it's like proof of concept. The law is on our side as well. (laughs) You don't have to face this alone. It was incredible. Yes. Mm. And even smaller things. We get lots of DMs every day that our members are replying to with advice from the email. Just things like, hey, the landlord wants me to pay a huge tenancy transfer fee. Is that legal? Oh, my God. I've had those. (laughs) Ugh, same. Like $300 tenant transfer fee, which is blatantly not legal. And that's the kind of thing we can rise up against together. Yeah. And the fact that I've... Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm not in a situation where I'm really in any financial stress or any rent stress or anything. I'm very lucky that I'm able to pay rent easily. Um, but in my last house, I was there for near ten years. Standard share house. People coming and going every year or two. Um, and every single time we tried to do a tenant transfer, they tried to charge us like three hundred dollars. And every single time, because we'd looked up the regulations and things, we'd say no, you can't do this. The precedent says you can charge maybe 80, if that. Um, they they backed down as soon as we kicked up a little bit of a fuss and as soon as we quoted a few bylaws. Um, and the next time they try to do it again. And meanwhile, they're clearly doing this to every single other tenant that they run on their books, um, many of whom probably aren't confident enough in being able to push back a little. Exactly. I think that is the big thing of both like whenever you push landlords just a little bit, they usually do back down. That's, that is the main thing, but you have to know what you can push back on. You do have to know what is legal, what they can get away with, what they can't. And so having Rahu around as just a sort of, you know, to have your back. Yeah. Well, just, just as a, as a source of knowledge about what you can and can't do and having people say like, yeah, like like what Lang just said, saying, no, they can charge you max $80. That's helpful. But I think at the same time, there is something else to the idea of even if you know you can technically do something, landlords yeah. like bosses have so much fucking power yeah. in these situations that there is something almost psychic or like moral to having a union behind you where you can go, you know what? I don't actually feel alone. I don't feel like the the power imbalance is as big. Um, It's a safety net to a degree. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Which is, you know, probably the main reason we were so excited that you guys hit us up and we started talking. We can like do an interview now is just like people need to know that you like Rahu exists. Yeah. Join the union. Um, 100% join the union. It's fun and it makes you feel good and a little bit protected. Mm. Is there so because I'm not in tune with what's happening in most people's houses in Australia, nor should I be, I guess. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so if for anyone who's listening, what are your options if you're under stress? Um, you can ask for a rent reduction and you can it you can ask for it to be thirty percent of your income. That's what's considered affordable. Okay. So get out a pen and paper right now, write down your weekly income and write down your weekly rent. Um, calculate what that percentage is and if the rent is more than thirty percent of your income, you are technically in what's called rental stress. Mm. and can apply for a rent reduction. There's um, template letters that you can send to your landlord, get in touch with the union to get some of those, rahu.org.au. And then 
at the moment, because of the COVID omnibus legislation, they're legally obliged to negotiate with you in good faith, mm. which Whatever means that, means. that <laughs> yes, um, which means that if they don't do that, you can take them to consumer affairs or potentially VCAT so that they can get your rent down to a reasonable level. And if you are an international student or a temporary migrant and your income is zero right now, 30% of your income is zero. You can legally ask for a rent reduction to zero and your landlord has to agree. Right. So I think that is something that's uh, very important as well is that it is your current income. It's not like what it should be for the year or what your yeah. contract might say, but you've been stood down. as Whatever you're getting at right now, you can ask for a rent reduction based yeah. on that. It's not if you hustle, it's <laughs> what are you actually getting. Exactly. And um, there are some documents they can ask for you to prove that, but a lot of them would be going overboard and asking for too much. So if you do get a, some of the landlords have banded together in their own kind of union to mm. make these quite laborious forms for renters to fill out mm. with every single detail about their financial situation. That's, I think, a classic thing that happens is when you apply for a house, you kind of have to give them your firstborn and all your bank details and your fingerprints or whatever. Um, my last application, we just have to give them so much information. So I think renters are used to just being like, I guess there's no part of my life that is secret from you. You own me. Um, but we don't have to do those things. Exactly. And finally, I guess the pandemic is showing us that we don't have to and that we do have power as renters, which I know in my 10-year history of renting in Melbourne, I have never felt. I, like, I, don't, I don't lodge maintenance requests because I don't want the landlord to dislike me. Yeah. I mean, there is there is such a thing that's, that's unexamined in anytime there's media reports on it, anytime politicians want to talk about it, of just that that genuine power imbalance that people feel when like we're not talking about an investment piece. We're not talking mm. about um, you know, two different economic agents trying to come to an agreement. It's my fucking home. I live here. I need this. I don't want to be uprooted. I don't want to have to look for another place. It's stressful. Uh-huh. You, you, you're, you're already inclined to want to just acquiesce to any stupid thing they say, or like you said, just entirely avoid places. I've, I've lived in places where, um, fuck my last house. I moved out, and a few months later, everyone had to leave because there was uh, mushrooms in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Like that's how some of these fucking areas, this some of these houses can get. Because we tried for so long to deal with the landlord and just things weren't getting done properly and we didn't really feel like we had recourse in those situations. Um, on that then, yeah. <laughs> let's, hit it, let's, let's hit it proper. Besides the like, legal working groups and then the, um, like, I suppose like, you know, the Twitter and Facebook DMs like, just with bits of advice, what is the union aiming to do? in the lead up to that uh, rent or that, sorry, that eviction moratorium being lifted? So we fought for the eviction moratorium in the first place and we would like that to continue. Um, We asked for 12 months originally. That's not what they've done. We want more. Uh, I think just Mm -hmm. better laws around eviction in general. We think a rent amnesty is what should be happening rather than individual scattered rent negotiations. Like, Mm. You know, it sounded good and powerful before when I said your landlord has to negotiate with you, but that's still individuals talking to individuals. That's not like yeah. 
our award wages. Imagine like an award rent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. Because I remember when the government announced, they, they said, oh, you know, negotiate with your landlords. And we were all on the podcast went, what? You can't negotiate on equal footing with the guy who can kick you out of your house. That's a power imbalance. Exactly. Um, actually, Rahu did a really good document just before I joined in their three-month review, which was um, August. It's on the website. It's got the 10 demands from what Rahu thinks we should do. So that's the rent amnesty and eviction ban that I just talked about, but also forgiving all rental debts. Yep. Yeah. We don't think anyone should be in rental debt. But it, it is the thing of like, oh, you don't have to pay rent now. We'll we'll push that back. It is insane. Yeah. Putting all this rent debt on people as if they're going to come out of the pandemic, immediately get a job that pays so well, it's going to make up for all the missed income during the pandemic. It's They're dreaming. Yeah, that's ridiculous. We want reductions we want amnesty we do not want rent deferrals or rent debt it's ridiculous and the entitled nature of landlords about that oh i have to get mine i'll let you not pay it for a while but i gotta get it eventually yeah so this is something that we talked about with um jim marlowe when he was on because he was he was a journalist at domain doing a lot of really good work at the re- at the real estate website, trying to be like, hey, renters are people too, please respect them. But one thing I don't really understand, I mean, <laughs> I do, but I do. I want your opinion on it, Holly. Why do you think that these landlords are clearly financially stressed, or they think they're financially stressed because a pandemic has hit and they might be losing a stream of income, and instead of looking at the banks who are putting pressure on them to keep up mortgage repayments and, and debt repayments, they're instead looking at their tenants and being like, no, fuck you, you have to give me money, I have to squeeze you for all the money. Why do you think we haven't seen landlords turn around en masse or uh, as a collective with renters and be like, no, the whole system is unfair, fuck this, the banks can shoulder some of this burden? Really good question. Thank you for that one. I've thought about it a little bit. Don't know how articulate I could be because it's such a huge systemic thing. But mm. firstly, we financialized housing. We turned it into a market when it's a necessity and a human right. So we sold people a lie. We said, if you invest in property, you'll get a guaranteed return. That's how property is. Yeah, it's insane. Um, it is insane. It's that shouldn't be how property is. I don't think anyone's income should rest on how well the housing market is doing or whether or not their tenant has a job because we all know now that jobs can just disappear into thin air for everyone. Um, I would love to see that attitude completely change and housing to be seen as a social good and for more public housing. But even if it was just an investment like stocks, no one's guaranteed that their stocks will always go up. You can lose in the stock market, but for some reason you can't lose in the housing market. Yeah, that's what we've been told. You can't lose in the housing market. There'll always be more tenants, but this time there aren't. Well, yeah, it's like, it has sort of highlighted the idea, like you said, jobs can disappear like f- out of thin air. It shouldn't be the case that everyone's job had to disappear at the same time, for the same reason, for people to suddenly like take an impassion or an empathetic view on that, Every- anyone's individual job at any one time could have disappeared, and it still shouldn't be a matter of like, well, 
you know, you got to be homeless for a bit. Exactly. I think that speaks to something that you guys talk about a bit on the few episodes of your podcast I've talked, I've listened to, which is, you know, the world is a neoliberal shithole. <laughs> we do say that. Um, we were going to call the podcast that. <laughs> um, and we think that, you know, individuals just need to bootstrap themselves into a house. Um, not to get too, like, evolutionary psychology, but I don't think humans were built to be individuals. Mm. You know, we can't build a house by ourselves. Why should we all be just affording a house by ourselves without, you know, labour under a capitalist system, which isn't very fun right now? Yeah. Okay, do you think, like, silver lining, the whole pandemic thing, like, by necessity... Everyone is kind of in this pandemic together. I mean, sort of. Some people are <laughs> uh, off in Aspen or some people are able to shut themselves up in their mansions. But a lot of people are suddenly thrown into insecure, weird situations and are suddenly realising simultaneously that a lot of stuff is a bit shit. Do you think that we're going to come out of this with, like, stronger unions and, like, in a, in a socialist utopia uh, a bit more than we were? I think that's a silver lining. I mean, I hope so. Um, I think that we have learned a lot about how about the flaws of capitalism um, and its inherent, you know, contradictions. We can't live in a world that grows forever. Yeah. I feel like I'm seeing a lot more like people on my timelines being more radical than they were before, and that gives me a little bit of hope. Gives me a little bit of hope too. I'd love to see people getting more radical about housing about how much we consume and travel and lifestyles in general not that i think it's individuals fault that climate change happens just that no. you know corporations can get a bit more radical too yeah they won't but they should they've got people on their boards i'm holding out some mm. hope yeah and other than that that I, I think guillotines are still manufactured um so that's something <laughs> we could look into i mean Good thing about a guillotine is you can make one in your garage. So I can't. <laughs> I can't afford a garage though. Who's got a garage in this in this economy, Lang? I have. Your privilege have is showing, mate. Yeah, I have a garage. <laughs> if anyone needs a guillotine made, um, <laughs> Hit up I reckon Northern that could be a fun project. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a few of them coming out in protests around the world at the moment. Um, yeah, you know, it's like they they built a um, or they assembled a guillotine out the front of one of Jeff Be Jeff Bezos' houses. But um, nice. they didn't know if he was home or not because he has 18 different houses to choose from. Fuck um, um, so I need a bigger guillotine. Just, I mean, this is this is a pretty niche question, but sort of um, jumping off the back of Lang's one, talking about hopefully there will be more, um, if not union membership after this, more of a sense of solidarity, more of a awareness of the failings of capitalism and whatnot. But... Specifically speaking, we're seeing like um, Rahu, you guys have um, come out of this super recently, um, uh, Rafwu as well, the AWU, Australian Unemployed Workers Union, a whole bunch of these unions are around at the moment. They're doing some amazing things, like legitimately providing material benefits for members and yet they're not officially recognised by the Australian Council of Trade Unions. They're not, quote-unquote, real unions in the sense that they're, you know, very well established with a whole bunch of, like, ex-labour or future labour staffers. Mm -hmm. um, 
what do you see the role of specifically being a union and specifically being a non-official, non-recognized by the higher-ups union, as opposed to being an activist group or a strike group or whatever else? Mm. Um, firstly, I think it's cool to be a union that's not affiliated with the official <laughs> Council of Trade Unions. Um, yeah. That's an advantage. Um, obviously, we get less material benefit because we're not in that union industrial complex where they get money yeah. from, I think, super funds and things like that. It also means we're less beholden to their rules. And mm. the government governments have always put down rules against unions. Like these days, you don't tend to get shot for trying to unionize your mine, but there are actions that are allowed and not allowed. There's protected and there's wildcat stuff. Yeah. And as this like decentralized, um, member run new unions, no one can tell us what to do. Mm. It's nice not having a boss. <laughs> Even in a union, the union movement in Australia is solidified to a point and then stultified. Now it's like, oh, the unions have bosses. Fuck. Yeah. Like, I, I love unions, but I don't always agree with what Australian unions and the ACTU are doing. Yeah. We've got a, we've got the term we've explored here, dirty solidarity, and it seems like even that's applying to some <laughs> unions at the moment where it's like, fuck, we need you, and 100% you're overall probably good. But can you can you stop giving Frydenberg what he wants? Can you stop being fucking climate scabs? Is can it you try and remember which side you're on? <laughs> exactly. I think there may have been a drift away from the left over the past few decades um, for lots of reasons. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I like the idea of there being like uh, yeah new unions as a as a concept as a movement but it's spelt just n u unions <laughs> like new metal there's new new unions it's fucking sick um please call this podcast that <laughs> um, hell yeah <laughs> new union can i give a shout out to another new union that i like yes um yes i'm yes, in yes, the yes. NTEU, and a lot of us members are not completely satisfied with their response to what's happening with unis so a Rank and file union or network has sprung up, the National Higher Education Action Network, mm-hmm. who is potentially ready to do some actions. Um, so people should go join them if they're in the NTEU. Another new union. Oh, the new union movement. This is sick. <laughs> can we can we get frosted tips and baggy silver jeans just like the early nineties new metal movement? Oh, please. Yes. I've wanted an excuse for that for so long. Yes, solidarity. <laughs> <laughs> bring back cargo pants yes bring back big pockets so we can put all our bricks and stuff in and you can get the pockets in union colors <laughs> to symbolize which union you're in wow i'm really into this so a couple of things just before we we properly um finish up um what are some things that renters and i suppose specifically victorian renters because that's the that's the focus need to know and should be doing as we come up to March? Um, If you can't pay your rent, you need to know that you don't have to. Um, If you can pay your rent, you need to know that rent increases are illegal. Um, You'll notice if you're browsing the real estate websites at the moment, there's a few places that say, you know, we're this price at the moment, but we'll be going up to 480 in X month. Make sure that month is after March because yep. no rent increases okay. are legal before then. Um, yep. Know your rights, join your union. That's what renters need to know. 
Rahu is Victorian centric. Yes, and we want to grow. Um, cool. So Rahu has started in Victoria, and there's currently one general branch. But what we really want to do next is start creating local branches that can really do targeted local action, such as finding out who all your landlords are. You know, find um mm-hmm. hot and sexy single landlords in your area looking for someone. <laughs> Looking for rent. Yeah, and then um, get together and troll them, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Landlords hate um, these secrets. <laughs> yeah, we want to use that one weird trick. <laughs> <laughs> it's unionization. The trick is unionization. The one weird trick is unionization, and we want to branch out into local areas and do local stuff. <laughs> um, this is a quick thing as well. You mentioned the uh, membership. Uh, up top one thing i really liked about rahu was that uh if you own a house uh if you own property Mm -hmm. you can still join you're just a solidarity member and you don't get a vote yeah i fucking love that i love that show support yeah homeowners you're not a renter landlords may not join landlords are expressly forbidden from joining nice i really hope one tries so that we can reject them all right now hell yeah this has been fun um where can everyone find all of the information they need for Rahu? Head to rahu.org.au. Easy peasy. And we're on um, all of the social medias, Facebook, Renters and Housing Union, Twitter, REH Union, Instagram, I think it's REH Union Vic. Join us, follow us. I posted Shrek on Instagram today and it's not getting as many likes as I was hoping. <laughs> we'll try to give you the, the, the not good enough bump which we started sarcastically for Jim when he was on the podcast. He's like, I need, I'm just really close to 3,000 followers on Twitter. I don't want it. Now he's up to 3,400, 3,500. So you know what? We're going to give the Shrek post. God, Jim is the best. Jim rules. I love Jim. <laughs> you shouted him out earlier and I didn't get a chance to like interrupt, but we love Jim. <laughs> That's all. Let's, let's end this interview just talking about Jim. <laughs> what a cool dude. Don't you dare edit this out if you if you edit my gym compliments out. <laughs> no, there's no way. All right, Holly, thanks heaps for joining us. This has been this has been really cool. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us at NotGoodPod on all the socials or NotGoodPod at ProtonMail.com via email. Uh, let us know what you think. If you got praise, love to hear it. If you got constructive criticism, uh, we also love to hear it. I make a joke about us having fragile egos basically every episode. But no, it is good to have uh, that. And uh, that's, yeah. that's that's it for the outro. Bye. Do we talk about Twitter too much or not yeah. enough? Let us know. <laughs> I, f- I feel like every outro, I drop in a little weird thing at the end. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I think it's just accidentally become my thing. It's part of our media identity. Oh, damn it. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.